Welcome to the Boyk Brief. I'm Desmond Strew, Marketing Director at the Charles E. Boyk Law Offices, located in Toledo, Ohio. The Boyk Brief invites you to go into chambers with the attorneys of Boyk Law as we explore real legal cases, talk to fascinating people in our area, raise awareness about community initiatives, and share helpful information about protecting yourself and those you love. Today, Chuck and I are very excited to sit down with a true legend of the Toledo legal community, Charlie Contrada. Charlie has been practicing personal injury law in Toledo since 1979, and in that time, he has worked tirelessly to help thousands of people reclaim their lives and recover from injuries. All right, here today in the studio, we have Chuck Boyk. And Chuck, we have a really special guest here today. Yes, Desmond. Uh, we have with us today Charlie Contrada. Charlie Contrada has been one of the leading personal injury attorneys in the Northwestern Ohio area for over 40 years. Everybody knows in the community that Charlie has a great reputation as a lawyer. I don't know Charlie that well, but if you talk to other attorneys, people basically say that Charlie's actually a better and nicer person than he is an attorney, and (laughs) he's considered a great attorney. So, Charlie, you've been around longer than I have. I've been around for 37 years. You've been around for 41 years, and you've been noted as one of the top personal injury attorneys around. Could you tell the people a little bit about your background? Well, thanks, Chuck. It's good to be here, and thank you for inviting me. You and I have been friends, uh, I guess, for 37 years or so. Yeah, I grew up in Toledo, went to Rogers High School, played football there, went to Kenyon College, was a history major. My dad was an athletic director, so I got the sports side from him. My grandfather was chairman of the English department at University of Toledo, so I got that side from my grandfather. So I I feel like I got both the humanities and the athletics, which I still love both of them. My wife, Carol, and I have been married for over 40 years, and we go up to Stratford to see Shakespeare every year, but this year because of the COVID. So I, I, I sort of cover a wide range of different areas. In addition, I was on the board of, uh, and actually chairman of the board of Sylvania Recreation for five years. So I really believe in youth sports and have really tried to give a lot back to the community. So you went to Rogers and your dad was the athletic director there initially? He was initially the athletic director. By the time I got to high school, he became assistant principal, and he actually retired as principal at Woodward High School. Wow. I grew up, um, I went to start, and I went to uh, grade school and high school with Jim Vitale, and I think wasn't his dad an athletic director also at Rogers? Yes, and when I was there, he was my uh, JV football coach, And my dad actually hired Jim Vitale. Oh, that's neat. Small world. So Kenyon College, my best friend in high school went to Kenyon College. And the reputation is super tough, academic, kind of like the Ivy League of the Midwest. And my understanding is that there are a lot of fraternities and that people partook in uh, drinking alcohol on the weekends. Tell me about (laughs) your experience at Kenyon. (laughs) Well, Kenyon was tough academically, but I also played football there and really enjoyed that. In fact, my senior year, we were undefeated. So that's a a wonderful memory for me about Kenyon. But I was a history major, and it was tough. You had to study every night. You go back to the dorms and study. I think like all college kids on the weekend, we all tried to break loose and maybe have a glass of beer now and then. And in fact, it was legal back then. You could get 3-2 beer at age 18. So we were able to, to drink legally. 
Wow, that's fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I understand that as you were playing for Canyon, you had a a very particular position that you played. <laughs> well, back then, strong safety was known as monster back. I think Michigan called it the wolf back. Jack Tatum played that position. If people remember that for Ohio State, he was a terrific college player. So I did play and it was a great joy to play football. So, and I enjoyed college football a lot. So you made the decision then to come back home from Canyon. I guess uh, Toledo's a little bit bigger than Gambier, Ohio. Yeah, it's quite a bit bigger. And uh, tell me about your law school, where you worked during law school and about your law school background. Yeah, I came back to Toledo and I went to Toledo Law School. And I really didn't know any lawyers or anything like that. But I applied for a job and I started work, believe it or not, in the divorce court for Carol Petrakowski. And when there was an opening where her uh, brother-in-law, Francis Petrakowski, who was on the general division, had an opening for a clerk, I applied for that job and got that job. So I actually clerked in the general division for Judge Francis Petrakowski for close to two years. And it was wonderful. I mean, I learned so much just behind closed doors. And back then, you know, we assisted the judge in writing opinions while we were still in law school. I mean, he always had the final say and did the final edit, but we would write oftentimes a proof for him to look at. So back in that time period, there seems to have been like a a whole lot more trials than there are today. So I'm assuming you got a chance to see some of the top uh, trial lawyers in uh, Northwestern Ohio, and that must have, I'm assuming, motivated you maybe to become a trial lawyer? That's absolutely right. I kind of thought I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer, but I got into the, the courtroom and started seeing civil trials, and I didn't know much about it. Like I said, I didn't know any lawyers uh, before I went to law school and worked for the judge. And it just really became interesting. And it just was something I really wanted to do. And you could really help people. And that it, it kind of inspired me as well. So when I left, I actually went to work at Wagner and Steinberg and worked with Harold Steinberg, better known as Buzzy Steinberg. And he was kind of my mentor. And what a wonderful guy. So he's still around Toledo. So you uh, stayed at Wagner Steinberg for how long? 11 years. I was partner after one year. So, Wow. Impressive. Yeah. And so Desmond told me this is your 30th year of your own law firm? Yes. uh, I have two children with my wife, my one and only marriage. And my wife is also a lawyer. So we opened our own law firm, Contrada Associates, uh, 30 years ago. That's amazing. So, uh, so which, so, you know, considering the, the firm is probably one of your children, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, the, the order of the kids? Did the, did any of the kids come before the, the both, firm or both did? Both did. All right. So the, so the firm is your youngest and maybe favorite child. We don't know. <laughs> Definitely not my favorite. <laughs> not your favorite child. I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. No, my children both live in Vermont now, and my daughter is a uh, high school history teacher and a coach. She retired as a coach of softball, and my son is a clinical psychologist. So um, your practice, why don't you just um, tell our listeners what you do as far as your personal injury practice? Well, as Chuck, we both do the same thing. And to help explain, when someone gets injured through the fault of someone else, when they're completely innocent, oftentimes you can make a claim for your injuries. And I think that's a wonderful part of American law that allows us to do that. And not every country, not even every democracy allows that to happen. So oftentimes people come to me and also come to you, Chuck, 
And they've been injured either in a car accident, maybe a product has exploded. They've been injured in various different ways, maybe a snowmobile. And it's not their fault. And they're thinking, you know, is there something I can do to help pay for my medical bills, pay for my lost wages, and perhaps even pay if they have a long-term disability? So I try and help people with that. Primarily these days, I've narrowed my practice considerably, and I primarily do car accidents, truck accidents, motorcycle accidents. So you and I have both been around for quite some time, and I was talking to you beforehand about the differences. It seemed to me that, let's say in the 80s and 90s, there seemed to be a whole lot more trials than there are today. And maybe you can talk about maybe the different mindset of our opponents um, in the legal system. Yeah, it is considerably different uh, the last 20 years than the first 20 years of my practice. I think there was a more what I would call level playing field between our side. You know, juries would come in and they were interested in the cases. Now they kind of see, because of a lot of television commercials and so-called tort reform activity over the many years, that somehow that people that are injured that are asking to be compensated, but simply to be made whole, uh, somehow a bad thing. And so I don't think the playing field is quite as level as it used to be. And people seem to be a little cynical and seem to think they know what's going on. But oftentimes you'll get some cynical jurors. And then at the end of the case, you know, three days later, two weeks later, whatever, you know, they really got engaged in that trial and really got engaged in trying to help somebody that was seriously injured. So, you know, there's still that part. But I think there's a level of cynicism that we have to overcome that makes it more difficult to try cases. And quite honestly, they're a lot more expensive today for some reason. So I think it takes a lot more money to move a case forward to trial that you didn't have to do back in the 80s and 90s. No, I I agree 100%. I mean, one of the problems I'm sure we both face are, okay, we might be able to get you 20000 more at trial. But if it's going to cost us 12000 to get the 20000 it's just economically doesn't make any sense. That's right. So you have to look at the economic side of it. You're not just helping your client recover. You're trying to balance it out so it's a fair recovery for everybody. It also seemed um, 20 or 30 years ago that most of our opponents were in northwestern Ohio. And it seems like there's a lot of law firms from throughout the entire state, Cleveland, Akron, Columbus, Cincinnati, that are starting to represent the insurance companies in Northwestern Ohio. I agree with that. I think originally back in the 80s, we saw some lawyers out of Cleveland, but it was like a lot of insurance companies decided they would centrally locate one firm. And so they ended up in Columbus and then they would represent uh, insurance companies all over the state. Occasionally, we see a lawyer from Cincinnati, but not very often. But I would say with out-of-town lawyers, they're primarily 50% probably Columbus, 50% Cleveland. Right. Let's talk about the Toledo Bar Association and Toledo attorneys. One thing I think that's really great about Toledo is nobody really plays too dirty here, and everybody is pretty respectful to everybody else. And that's not really true for attorneys across the state. Maybe you could talk about that. Well, you know, you do hear about the bars in Cleveland or Columbus or whatever, but, you know, I'm much more intimately involved with the bar here in Toledo, and they generally are friendly. I mean, it's it's being very competitive, but without being unfriendly about it. So, you know, we see a lot of the same people over and over again, which is 
you know, can be both good and bad. But, you know, we treat each other fairly. And because we see each other more frequently, if somebody is unethical in some way, we will know that and the word sort of gets passed on. Whereas I've heard in Detroit, which is such a huge community, you may only run up against the lawyer one time in your career. So there's never any follow-up where we might see somebody a couple times a year for many years. Let's talk about the concept of mediation. I'm not sure when mediation came about. Do you think like in the 2000s? Yeah, if you might remember, the courts instituted their own mediation, and I got assigned cases to try and mediate, and you probably did too. And there was about a two or three year period where they would take an injury case, and because I was an injury lawyer and you were an injury lawyer, a judge might say, would you please try and get this case settled? And you would have lawyers and their clients come to your office, and you would do your best to settle the case in a fair fashion. And then slowly courts started hiring lawyers to become mediators. And mediators is a process for people that don't know to try and get cases settled short of trials. Trials can be expensive. And like we talked about earlier, much more expensive today than they used to be. So it's a way to help the injured person get their claim resolved without having to go to trial. And it almost seems now that before they'll let you even go to trial, the court almost, it's almost mandatory that you go through a mediation first. And that wasn't the way it was in the 80s or 90s. That's right. And in fact, many judges would be upset if you didn't try and mediate your case with a mediator first. In the old days, judges were a lot more engaged in trying to settle their own cases but they didn't have, they had the time to do it back then. I don't think today they have quite as much time. So they hire mediators to help assist. We used to have settlement pretrials where the judges really actively engaged the lawyers to get the cases settled. Generally, they didn't talk to your clients, but they really were engaged with the lawyers. And I thought that was very beneficial back in the day. So we still have some settlement pretrials and some judges that like to engage in that but primarily they leave it up to the mediators. So looking back over all of the changes that have happened in in your career and uh, in the legal community as well, would you say that the the things that drew you to law when you were first going to law school are the same things that uh, have kept you interested in law over your whole career? As a matter of fact, I do. I remember taking a course in law school called torts and it was about injury cases and To be perfectly honest, I had no idea this whole area of law existed. And it was like, my goodness, this is so wonderful. It's so, I can't believe our democracy is so great that it allows people to recover for damages when it's not their fault. And that part of the law has been so wonderful. And I think it's helped so many thousands of people. Chuck, you've helped thousands. I know I've helped thousands of people with their injury cases. And People see us or maybe they see me on television or Chuck, you know, on the social media, and they don't quite understand how wonderful this is and what a great America it is that allows this to happen. It's true. You know, and you you mentioned earlier the the cynicism and the eye rolling that usually comes about when you say uh, personal injury law. And I feel like so much of that can be traced back to that fateful uh, McDonald's case. And I think that's something that certainly since I've been here at the firm, I've seen the real things that personal injury lawyers can do to really transform someone's life. Well, I think uh, most people believe in personal responsibility in America, no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on. And a lot of people 
perceive that McDonald's case is why doesn't she accept responsibility that she was holding, you know, this cup of hot coffee between her legs and it injured her when the top came off and it burned her. But once they got into the details of the case, and of course, nobody really heard the details of the case except for injury lawyers like us, uh, it seemed like, well, this is a terrible result. But as we all know, in politics, people can skew things in different ways that really have little to do with what actually happened. Oh, yes. So I think that case, you know, you brought up is one that probably still angers some people. But I think if they understood the facts of the case a lot better, it wouldn't upset them quite so much. Absolutely. Charlie, what would you say are your proudest, proudest moments from your practice? Well, I think setting up my own law firm was something that, you know, has been wonderful and it's, you know, ongoing in 30 years, I feel very proud of. Uh, so I think that is one of the things working with my wife. I mean, <laughs> about half the people say I could never work with my wife and the other half say I'd love to. So, I mean, that's one of my proudest moments. You know, certain trials, there's certain people you just are so glad you were able to help out. And, and then certain trials I got good results in. Uh, I had some million-dollar verdicts. Uh, wow. I was also one of the first people in Northwest Ohio to be board certified in civil trials. So I felt, you know, I feel good about that, too. So all of that. And just I feel good about helping people. I'm sure Chuck feels the same way. I mean, the bottom line is we help a lot of people who, without our help, would sort of be injured twice. One of the things I think I can tell is um, you're still having fun. And I talked to some of our uh, contemporaries that perhaps do different areas of the law that it's a burden. I know I can't wait to get to work every day. And it sounds like uh, you feel the same way. I do feel the same way. And, and as you know, Chuck, before the COVID happened, you know, we'd be in the office for a couple of days. We'd be down in Bowling Green. We might be out in Defiance, out in Sandusky. So we're going to the different courthouses. We're going out to meet people, maybe meet witnesses. So you get all the office experience, but you also get to travel a little bit. And I like that sort of balance. And then, of course, preparing for trial, you know, preparing for trial is the most important thing about doing well in trial. So I'm sure you've spent the long hours, the long weekends and the evenings, you know, here in the office getting things ready to go to move the, the trial forward and make sure you cover it with the witnesses properly. Right. I, I think one of the blessings that we have is um, we, in effect, get to tell other people's stories and we get to meet new people and um, make a difference in their life. So. Each new person is almost like a new story, a new opportunity to become a part of their life. Yeah, absolutely. And we do become parts of people's lives. The bigger the case, it seems like sometimes you spend more time with people to try and get a complete idea of the, the injuries that they suffered and how it's affected their lives. And sometimes you really need to almost become friends with your clients to find out those kinds of details that are not so apparent. What advice would you have for? let's say, younger attorneys or people thinking about going to law school, it just seems like a whole different world today than when we were young. I mean, do you think the, our personal injury practice 20 years from now is going to be similar to today? Probably not. I think it's going to go a little bit more toward administrative law. But I think there'll always be courtrooms to sort of solve the intractable problems that uh, reasonable people cannot agree on. And you'll ask your fellow citizens 
to make a determination as to what's right and what's wrong in a particular case. At least I hope they'll always be, you'll always have the right to a jury trial. Now that says that in both, I think, the U.S. Constitution and the Ohio Constitution, but sort of been pushed back a little bit, at least in the state law part of it. But I think it's going to become a little bit more administrative, a little bit more like workman's compensation. When you say administrative law, what do you mean by that? Well, I think they could say, well, if you have a bad back, you're going to get X amount of dollars. If you have a bad neck, you're going to get Y dollars. You know, if you injure your finger, you know, or if you have a broken bone, you're going to get this much. So you won't really have to ask a jury because think about it. If you're a football player or a piano player, I mean, how you have hand injuries, it's going to affect your life differently than the other person. So to me, the jury can say, hey, this person over here is deserving of more with the same injury as the person over here Mm -hmm. because of the life they lead. So how often do you get to visit your kids? Well, with COVID, you know, we're not, we stayed home, just the two of us for Thanksgiving. We're, you know, going to be just the two of us for Christmas and the two of us for New Year's. But otherwise, we would get out there as often as we can. So um, we can both drive or fly. So it can be fun. What do you think uh, that we haven't talked about that you would think people wouldn't expect to know about Charlie Contrada? <laughs> I don't know that, uh, like I said, I both enjoy sports, particularly football. My daughter was a high school softball coach and won three state championships out in Vermont. So I like to go out and see her. We saw a couple of state finals. So we might not know that. Like I said, I read history all the time, particularly uh ancient history about ancient Rome and ancient Greece. Uh, I truly love that. I like going to Europe. Of course, you can't go there now. (laughs) (laughs) And Carol and I love Shakespeare. We love the theater. So we usually go up to Stratford and maybe see, you know, four or five Shakespeare plays every summer. And we've seen all of the Shakespeare plays, but three. Wow. Now that is an accomplishment because there are some that are just not performed very often. So that's correct. Do you have a favorite? Boy, you got to think Hamlet and Macbeth are so spectacular. They really are. I mean, yeah, they deserve all the credit they get. And we've probably seen Hamlet six times. And it's fun because you can compare production to production, actor to actor, actresses to actresses, direction to direction. Certainly. And And so much of it centers around who, you know, who is Hamlet and how, how are they playing Hamlet? So, uh, yeah, it can, yeah, I mean, can the opening lines of Hamlet are who's there. And if you think about it, that's kind of the theme of the play. Right. Um, so, you know, it all kind of ties together. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite, uh, favorite Roman emperor? <laughs> well, it's certainly not Caligula or Nero. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there's a, there's a wonderful a series of books by Robert Graves called I, Claudius. And there was actually a series done by the BBC, Mm -hmm. and it makes Claudius out to be this wonderful man. So I guess just off the top of my head, I would say Claudius may be my favorite emperor so i'll have to uh i'll have to check uh check him out i also enjoy uh uh ancient roman and and greek history so we'll uh we'll have to compare notes all right i'd be happy to look forward to that so thanks a lot for being with us, Charlie. You're a great guy, great attorney, and uh, I hope our listeners uh, learn some things about Charlie Contrada that they didn't know before. Thank you. Well, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Tune in next time for more stories of law and life. <laughs>